I'm Kenny White. I'm the lead campus pastor over at Shakopee, and I get to co-pastor with Pastor Matt uh, here in Prior Lake. And I have some ministries that I oversee over here, and he has some ministries he oversees over there. And we, from time to time, get to go to different campuses and see what God's doing, and it, it, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, one of those things that was a lot of fun uh, happened a couple of weeks ago. And so on behalf of Shakopee Campus, I wanted to take a moment and thank you. Thank you for an incredible missions conference. How many of you were able to be there? Yeah, that was so cool. Uh, so my first missions conference was with the, the COVID asterisks by it, right? And uh, it was good. It was great. But this one, it just blew my mind. I was so encouraged by uh, all of the work that was put into that. And many of you, you, you spent months ahead of time preparing for that. And it was, it was phenomenal. So on behalf of Shakopee, thank you so much. Our hearts were encouraged and it was so fun to be together and, uh, and experience that. But with that in mind, I also recognize that for you to go to Shakopee, we had to do some changing of things. And that brings anxiety, doesn't it? A little bit of change. Oh, a lot of change. Anxiety. And my shoulders are starting to tense up right now just thinking of all the change that's happening uh, in our world and in my life. And perhaps you're feeling that as well. The tension of change and the anxiety that sometimes is caused by that change. Sometimes it's very manageable things like driving a little further to church, but other times it's, it's bigger stuff. It's uh, too much month and not enough paycheck. It's a job situation. It's a neighbor situation. It's a family situation. It's a broken relationship. And those are tough situations, and the anxiety can build up. And that's just in our own lives when we look at the world around us and start to see what's happening in the world around us, Ugh. we can get really anxious really fast. And so what of it? Well, we recognize that there are at times needs for uh, going to the doctor and addressing it medically, but always there is a spiritual answer to it as well. And we want to address the spiritual side of it. In fact, as our team, our creative team came together and we started to talk through, what do, what do we really need? What does God have for us as, as a church in Shakopee and in Prior Lake? And, and what is God doing in our midst? One of the messages that just really resounded was we're tired. and We need rest. And it's not the kind of rest that, you know, you sleep in someday and you're, you're back to normal. It's soul deep. It's the kind of rest our soul needs. And so as we began to develop this, we said it really is rest for our soul. And what does the scripture have to say about that? If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to two places, Matthew chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be in both places today. And so uh, Matthew chapter 11 is really the theme verse that everything is born out of, and, and we'll talk about that shortly. But we want to get you there. It's real easy in the midst of life for these anxious situations to emerge, these bits of change that happen as they come forward, as they, as they kind of crash on our shores. It's real easy for them to get attention. 
and for us to take our eyes off of what really matters, or maybe better said, who really matters. And so with that in mind, as uh, Matt and I sat down and started to talk through this, we, we realized that Matthew chapter 11 was really a theme verse that we wanted to gravitate to. And I, I'm going to go there in just a moment and, uh, and, and share that passage. But as, as we go there, I want you to recognize that we're going to pick this uh, passage up and we're going to look at it from a few different angles. Last week, you heard Pastor Matt talk about justification. Today, you're going to hear this same passage looked at from the position of sanctification. Next week, you'll, you'll hear it uh, uh, talked about from glorification. And then the following week, I'll be back and we'll talk about it from the perspective of atonement. And then we're going to celebrate Easter as we talk about adoption and rest for our souls and so with that in mind, let's just jump right into it and let's walk through this passage together. We're in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. This is what it says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. By the way, this is Jesus speaking. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And at first blush, we get this, Right? Jesus is offering uh, uh, his yoke, right? Uh, that yoke that's used to plow fields for animals. He's saying, hey, for everybody, that is a huge burden, but my yoke is easy and light. Uh, and we go, okay, I get that. I would like an easy and light yoke. That, that's great. But when we go back to what's called Second Temple Judaism, or at least how it existed in the first century, we have to recognize some things. And, and one of those things is what they mean by yoke. And so the yoke was the yoke of the Torah, the teachings. So they would say, we have as a people in the first century and uh, in uh, New Testament times, we have this yoke that we carry to plow the ground. And that yoke is the Torah. 613 rules that we carry along with us. And that seems overwhelming, right? That, that's more than 10 that we usually talk about. 613 teachings. And as we look at that and think it through, we have to recognize that the idea here to have this teaching, to have this yoke, is to honor God. And so they're saying, I want to honor God, and I have this yoke that I carry to plow this ground, to make it fruitful. How do I do it? And that's the question. So, for example, one of those teachings was honor your father and mother. Oh, yeah, how do I do that? Great question. Rabbis had differing opinions on that. How about this one, which was a bigger issue? Honor the Sabbath or guard the Sabbath. Make it holy. How do I do that? And so a rabbi said, well, well clearly you don't work on the Sabbath. And they said, cool. I, they didn't really say cool. Those are my words. Okay. They said, well, how do I do that? How do I not work? Like, what is work? Glad you asked. They said, don't plow. Okay, I won't go to the field and plow on the Sabbath. Great. And rabbi said, wait, I thought you wanted to honor God. If you want to honor God, then you really need to fix your attention on him. And let's up our game. Okay, sounds good so far. And he said, therefore... If there is spittle on the ground and your sandal 
drags across that spittle. You are guilty of plowing on the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath law, and, uh, and sinning against God. Now imagine what that means. So now you're walking around in public like this. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to drag your feet. You don't want to dishonor God. You don't want to be in a bad situation uh, among your peers. And you certainly don't want to bring any shame to the Lord. And these are the burdens that they carried with them as they considered this very issue uh, of the Torah and living a life with the yoke of Torah on them, a burden. Some of you perhaps feel that same burden. How do I honor God in my life? How do I watch TV and honor God? How do I, how do I scroll through social media and honor God? How do I look at TikToks and honor God? Like, all of these things, they, they almost seem to be uh, uh, opposed to one another. Uh, in other words, it's hard to honor God and do some of those things. So what do I do? And you may be feeling this burden in your life. I'm, I'm going to come back to this story a little bit later, but uh, I remember early on, my, my dad passed away about five years ago. But 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And before that, though, as we were talking, and this was years, years we talked about this. As I would share the gospel, he'd say, I just, I just need to get myself right with God first. And he held this big burden of like, what does that even mean? Well, I need to do the right things. I need to say the right things. And, and many of us who've grown up in church, we kind of have that idea of if I just do the right things, say the right things, understand the right things, believe the right things, then all will be well. And I, I want to tell you that Jesus gives us rest, and we're going to dig into that today. We're going to pick this up again. Last week, justification. This week, sanctification. We're going to end in a few weeks on Easter with adoption. And as we began to, again, kind of flesh out this series and talk about it, we said, really, what is a good picture uh, of what we're trying to talk about with rest for your soul? And we talked about, well, you know, the ordinances really identify that. We see it in communion. That's a, such a beautiful picture of, of Jesus offering himself to us that we, we feed on Christ to get our life. You know, you are what you eat and, and, and we participate in Jesus. And also that there's this uh, there's this cup that represents the blood that has been given for us that, that doesn't just cover sin, but it takes sin away. What a beautiful picture communion is of, of this rest for your soul. But, but we said, you know, even more is probably baptism. That baptism really shows this beautiful picture of the weight of sin and death and surrender to Christ, dying to self, being cleansed in Christ and being brought up in a new life, new life in Christ. What a beautiful picture. So on Easter, by the way, we'll be having another baptism. And you may be in a place where you're saying, boy, my next step is as a believer, I want to be baptized. I need to do that. We want to encourage you to sign up online. To, and the reason is we want to meet with you beforehand and have some conversations and help you to, to walk this process together. Uh, you can do it that day. It might be a little bit trickier, but uh, we, again, would encourage you to sign up early, in part because we have this beautiful picture, whether we're talking about justification or sanctification or glorification or atonement or adoption, 
that baptism uh, really is a beautiful picture of that. So with that in mind, and as we move forward, let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you and ask that you will be glorified and honored in the things that we do and say. And Lord, as we jump into your word today, we recognize that we need you. And we need rest for our soul. Because Lord, this world is busy and this world is distracting. And there's plenty of distractions. And some of those distractions are external and get our attention. They're shiny and they get our attention And other distractions are internal. They exist in our heart. And those distractions keep us from the rest that you have offered to us. So Lord, we're asking for that today. And we're asking that you would be glorified in our lives and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the idea here is that that we get rest as we grow. That there is purpose in our lives, and as we walk and live in purpose, we have this, uh, we have this natural ability to grow. And, and so what we're talking about from a biblical perspective and using a Bible term is sanctification. Sanctification simply means to be set apart. It's a word that's connected to the, the, the term holy. But there's a better definition that I would really like to dive in with you. For some of you, you can go on uh, our church app and you can find the notes and these slides will be made available. For others, you might want to take some pictures today as we talk through these things. This would be one of those places. Sanctification is the ongoing supernatural work of God. Don't miss that. It's the supernatural work of God. It, like my dad said, I just, I just got to... I just got to get right with God. No, no, this is the supernatural work of God. He does this stuff. To To rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin. Pause there for just a second. Oftentimes in the West, we like to look at sin in legal terms or maybe in accounting terms. Okay, I've sinned against God. I owe God something I can't repay. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, gave life to me. He, he uh, zeroed out my account. Everything that I have that is good is from Christ. Anything in my bank account is from Christ. And we almost exclusively in the West think of it that way, but I like this fuller picture that sin is actually a disease. This sin has infected humankind, all of us, everybody. I don't think until we get to heaven we're going to see the depth of how bad that sin affected us. And we don't know because we just walk in, we live in it, we're around it, we're subjected to it. But this sin is a disease. And for the person who is sanctified and is being sanctified, there is this cure. And it's found at the cross. It's found in Christ, as it goes on to say. And to conform them to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good work. In sanctification, Christ's righteousness is imparted. Again, the idea, it's given to us. We don't, uh, we don't earn it. By the power of the Spirit, the converted sinner becomes more like Christ. It sounds like transformation. The sinner is transformed in every area of his or her life, inward 
and outward. So that the things that are being done on the, out, on the outside for the glory of God are also reflected on what is happening interiorly, right? Like, like the interior, there is a transformation that is occurring. And because of that transformation, there is good work. So we'll, talk, we'll dig into that in just a moment. Heart and action, relationships and purpose. And so as we look at sanctification, we, it's really important for us to clarify some things. Because for many of us who've maybe grown up in church, we've heard some, uh, we've heard behavior modification many times. Or at least that's the way it translated in our head. You know, it was like, what is a good Christian? A good Christian is somebody who doesn't uh, drink, smoke, or chew, and they don't go with girls who do. That's a good Christian. (laughs) You grew up in some of those kind of settings. That's behavior modification, though. Behavior modification is living in insecurity of trying to please God or earn his favor. Okay, whatever... I can't come to church, I can't follow Jesus, I can't read the Bible until I get myself right. i got to get myself right. And maybe if I just did more of this and more of this and more of this, then maybe somehow I can get right before God. And, and we bring that into uh, our life in the church too. And we have to be careful of this. We have to be really careful of this. But that's behavior modification. It, it's living in fear. It's a response to I would rather not get the consequences of this action, therefore, I'll do this this action instead. That's different than spiritual transformation. Because this cross should have been me up there, should have been you up there, but it's Jesus who went up to the cross in my stead. Because of that, I have a response out of love, born out of love, responding in newness of life because of God's favor. Because God died on the cross for my sin. I, I don't want to do those things. It's not about the consequence. I, I'd rather not get this consequence. It's about what, what pleases God. Because I think that's what I'd rather do. If he's willing to go to the cross, if he's willing to sweat blood, yeah, some of the things that I have to do doesn't seem so hard all of a sudden. But it's in response to the cross. Sanctification also has some... some uh, I don't know, some tricky uh, connections. I'll say it that way. Some tricky connections. Here's what I mean. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, sometimes we use terms and and we kind of uh, muddy the waters a little bit. So I'm going to define these terms a little bit more clearly, hopefully. There, There is positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. So sanctification is to be set aside, made holy for the work of God. And so positionally... When I'm justified, as Matt preached last week, when I receive Jesus as my Savior, as the, I'm given the Holy Spirit, some things happen positionally. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's positional. It happens. That's what I'm given. When the Father looks at me, he sees his Son. That's positional. Uh, that happens. It's salvation. But there's also progressive sanctification. How many of you can think, When I received Jesus as my Savior, how many ever years ago, weeks ago, days ago, whatever, I'm a little different, not in terms of age, but spiritual maturity, I'm a little different than I was then. That's that's, uh, progressive sanctification. It means, uh, I'll give you some examples. So, 
I received Jesus as my Savior. Lord, I want to follow you. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I want you to save me. I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. Okay, amen. And then suddenly in my prayer time, I'm starting to get convicted that the words that I'm speaking are bad, right? Like, I cuss a lot. Oh, I don't really. I'm just saying this is, this is a story. You following me? You're looking at me like, why is he a pastor? What is going on? Nobody's more surprised than my mom. So, so uh, at that moment, I'm starting to get convicted. Okay, I, I need to change my language. That doesn't reflect this Jesus that I'm saying I'm following. And so the Spirit of God begins to work in my life, and there's some transformation, and I'm getting some conviction. I'm not going to do that anymore, not based on I want to please God, but because I want to do the right thing. I want to honor God because of what he's done for me. And okay, I get some victory here. That's great. God pats you on the back, so to speak. Good job. Hey, we need to talk about this deception in your life, how you don't tell the whole truth. Yeah, that's called lying. That's one of those things that put me on the cross. Oh, I need to not lie. I need to tell the whole truth. I need to not deceive. And so through time and God's conviction, there's a transformation that occurs. It's progressive. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. Not based on some sort of guilt trip, heavy burden, a heavy yoke, but based on the fact that Jesus went to the cross for me. He loves me that much. If he's willing to go to the cross, I can stop cussing. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can get victory there. I don't have to deceive. We can get some victory there, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we do. So there's a difference here. Now, uh, what I'd like to do is jump into Hebrews chapter 13. As we go to Hebrews 13, we're, we're actually going to look at verses 7 through 19. But I wanted to see this verse first, verse 12. Uh, I really wanted to, uh, uh, to use it as the context for the whole thing. Because if we miss this, if it gets blurred in there, we'll miss the whole thing. In a couple of weeks, I'll be back. We're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. Most of that is being covered in, uh, in very specific elements throughout this passage. So there are going to be some things they'll say, and you'll go, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Great. Study it. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. I recognize that because of time, we're going to gloss over a few things today. Uh, I get that. But you should mentally note these things. Here's one of them in Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Look at that. Sanctification comes through Jesus, his own blood. John chapter 17, verse 17, uh, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The, the term word there is logos, the same term that's used about the Savior in John chapter 1. Jesus is saying, I am the sanctifier. I am the sanctification. And it's spelled out in principle and a little more clearly in Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Because of his work on the cross, we are sanctified, set apart. We are made holy. I am not holy because of anything that I've done. I'm not holy because 
uh, of how much money I have or don't have. I'm not holy because of the amount of fasting I do or don't do by how much scripture I memorize or don't memorize. We are made holy because of the work of Christ. It's important that we understand that as we begin to walk through this passage. And walking through this passage, we're going to have some takeaways at the end. Hang in there with me as we read through this uh, again, I want to encourage you to get your Bible out, highlighter, underline pen uh, with pen. Here we go. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy, place, holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. We have some takeaways in this passage. And, and again, there are some things that kind of blend together. On the one hand, there will be some positional sanctification pieces. And there will on the other hand, there will be some progressive sanctification pieces. But it is not behavior modification. It is not, hey, it is just easier for your conscience and the consequences to do these things than not do these things. That's behavior modification, born out of fear. We're talking about spiritual transformation because of the work of Jesus. All right, with that in mind, let's jump in. We can't sanctify ourselves. If that's not been clear up to this point, let me reiterate, we can't sanctify ourselves. doesn't matter if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, or how many people like you, it doesn't matter. You can't sanctify yourself. That is the work of Christ, period. Period. That's what Christ does. Two, remember and consider godly people. I think we're awful at this. Can I just be honest? In general terms, don't be offended. Or be offended, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> we don't do this very well. I'll give you an example. Uh, based on something that happened uh, was last week, a little over a week ago. Anybody know uh, Maywin Sukkot? You're familiar with? How about St. Patrick? Anybody know St. Patrick? Okay. Uh, yeah, St. Patrick. So let's talk about him for just a second with respect to this. The early church did a wonderful job of identifying godly people who were willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel, who reflected the image of, that, uh, of God that was given to them by Christ and the work of Christ. And they weren't, they were willing to give it all. Patrick, Maywin Sukkot, is one of those. 
He grew up in a wealthy uh, family in uh, Britannia, modern-day England. Growing up wealthy, he took a lot of things for granted and in his own writings talked about how immoral he lived, despite the fact that he had godly parents, a godly heritage. Uh, He did his own thing and lived in the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He admits that. One day, some marauders come in and they kidnap Maywin and they take him to what now we would, uh, Ireland. He doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the people, and he's now being trafficked. In being trafficked, he's sent to take care of a, of a large section of property and animals in particular by himself uh, out, in, uh, out alone. Nobody's around him. Maywin struggles with that, but he's forced to start to talk to God. His prayer life begins to develop. He starts to get strong in confidence that there is a God and that he has sinned against this God. Even though he's been trafficked, he's sinned against God. And he begins to repent, and he begins to pray, and he begins to seek God. And one night, as he's dreaming, he has this dream that God comes to him and sends him away. He, he leaves Ireland. He's freed. He wakes up and he follows what, what happened in this dream. And sure enough, miraculously, he gets on this boat. Miraculously, this boat is going near where he uh, grew up. He makes his way back home. Can you imagine years of being gone? And they see their son, who's an adult now. And they celebrate And the son goes, here's what I learned. There is a God, and I need to know more about him. And I'm I'm, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to learn about him. And they celebrate. Okay, maybe he's going to become a pastor nearby. Maybe he's going to take one of the nearby parishes. And he goes. And while he's gone, he gets ordained, and he realizes some things. One, uh, he can speak a language that very few people can. Very few Christians can. Two, he knows the language. Not just the language, but the culture of the people. Not just that, he knows the people. And he decides to go back to those who had trafficked him in Ireland. And he makes this trip back. And you know the story. He begins to preach the gospel. He begins to proclaim Christ uh, the victor. And these Druid priests start to get challenged in their worldviews, and they are transformed. They receive Christ as their Savior. Uh, Some chieftains receive Christ as their Savior. King receives Christ as their Savior. And there is a transformational work that happens throughout Ireland. And a few hundred years later, that transformational work makes its way back into Europe. And people start to hunger for the word of God because of the faith seeds that were given by Patrick and Ireland. And those faith seeds made their way across the sea to the colonies years and years later. Why? Because of a man like Maywin Sukut, who becomes St. Patrick. Friends, our church history is filled with those stories. Some of them are ancient, and some of them are modern, and some of them are across the aisle from me right now. But they're there. Remember and consider godly people. Three, Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. And I don't want to miss that. 
Uh, if you look at verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is so significant because many of us grew up in alcoholic homes, in homes that had addictions. And you came home and you didn't know what you were going to get when you got home. Was it going to be a happy parent? Was it going to be a sad parent? Was it going to be an abusive parent? Was it going to be a kind parent? Who are you going to? They changed. They changed. And you start to think of God and you wonder, wait, is God going to be mad at me? Is he going to hate me because of this? Isn't it good to know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He's right across the board. Like his standard is here and he brings us up to him. He is the same always. So don't be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. That's an important piece that we need to spend just a few moments on. The church has always had heresies that have tried to invade. Uh, uh, One modern heresy that is actually very old uh, is one that you need a specific spiritual gift to be an identifier of your salvation. And if you do not have or manifest this spiritual gift, then you do not have salvation. That's heresy. Uh, We need to understand that uh, because that, that puts that, gift above the cross, and that's heresy. Here's another one, very frankly, uh, and it it has to do uh, with, well, we'll just dig into it. How about that, okay? How about the prosperity gospel? It's name it, claim it. It's blab it, grab it. God has to do what I tell him to do because, well, doesn't it say whatever you ask, he'll, he'll do? Yeah, that's a part of Scripture, but that's not the full counsel of God. It has invaded the church in the West, partly because of the prosperity that we've experienced here. But it's also been an ancient heresy that has invaded. But those aren't the worst ones. The worst one is Gnosticism. Now, let me tell you what Gnosticism means. Gnosticism is this information that we have from God. It's knowledge. Knowledge that we say we have from God that uniquely gives us salvific experiences. So in other words, my salvation comes not from the cross and Jesus, but this information that I know. Here's how that practically lives out, and I'll share it with you in some uh, clear terms. I've had to do funerals where I went to the family and I said, tell me about this person's salvation. Like, how did, did they know God? Did they love God? Did they follow Jesus? What did that look like? And they kind of go, hmm. They said a prayer when they were 12. And then what? They said a prayer when they were 12. There, there was no change ever in that person's life. It was a prayer. It was a get out of hell free card. And now I'm, I'm in this position where I have to try to give hope to a family who has this Gnostic Christian up front who's saying, oh, yeah, they're going to heaven. Everything is great because they said this prayer. They had information, but no transformation. Friends, that's from hell, and it's invaded the church from the early days, and it's a heresy that we have to be so careful of. Because there are people who are saying, oh, yeah, well, all I have to do is say this magic prayer, and once I say this magic prayer, then I'm saved and nothing ever changes. Now, should you pray? Absolutely. Can you receive Christ in a prayer? Absolutely. 
Should there be transformation associated with that? Absolutely. We have to be careful that this Gnostic uh, belief doesn't invade our churches because it has. And so we, we, we have to pause before God and say, okay, well, well, guess what? I have this responsibility as someone who is being made holy, who is being transformed into the image of God to ask some really hard questions here. And I've got to be honest about it because my eternity is on the line. Five, go to Jesus. We have nothing else. It's really clear in this passage. Uh, we, we have Jesus. We didn't have anything else. Not position, not status, not friends, not family, not, not lineage. We have Jesus. That's it. Continue on. Praise God. Love this. Verse 15. Love this. It's so important. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Please don't let it be true that in your home, if you said the name of Jesus, everybody would go, when do they start talking like that? And if you are in a place where that's new, develop it. Start talking about Jesus. Start talking about how good he is. Quote, quote scriptures. Ask your family for scriptures. How's God at work in your life? What's, what's he doing? This is something I see God doing in me and through me. And sometimes in spite of me, talk, have these conversations and use your words. They're important. Do good and share. Obey leaders and pray for leaders. I'm going I'm to say those together because it's in, in the world that we live in where it is, it's so easy to make fun of people. Sometimes funny, sometimes kind of fun even. You know, scroll through TikToks or shorts on YouTube or watch five minutes of television and there'll be some shots taken at somebody. Scroll through social media and we see it. These are leaders ordained by God. Three institutions, government, church, and family. Those institutions ordained by God, God has established leaders. You can say it a lot of different ways. Oh, he's allowed those people to be leaders, or he's purposely placed those leaders there. Wherever you are on the spectrum uh, of leadership belief, let me say it this way, uh, they're there, and we have a responsibility to pray for them. You say, well, they're not, they're not godly. They're clearly not following God. They don't have my best interest in mind. Okay, but this is all coming from the God who came in the flesh and subjected himself to an earthly, earthly institutions and allowed himself to be put on the cross uh, by a, a few people. And those people weren't godly people, despicable in many ways. And, and he submitted to that as a model for us. Pray for our leaders. Obey our leaders that it would go well. This is a piece of the sanctification that God has called us to. Some of it is positional. This is who we are in Christ. But some of it is progressive. There are responses that we have to the word of God in obedience because we've been made holy. This is the Christian life. And this Christian life is what we're called to. As 
the worship team comes, I, I, I want to remind us of that beautiful picture of rest, the burden of sin, of entering into the waters of baptism, of being cleansed by Christ himself, and then raised to a new life in him, that Galatians 2.20 is true. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is the life that we've been called to. It's where we receive our rest, the rest for our soul. And we grow in Christ, and as we grow in Christ with purpose, we receive that rest.